You guys are hot, huh? You guys are hot. I'll just put it on that. You're hot. I'm hot, too, and uh, we'll get rolling. Uh, I did this at the VBS family night. If you have your Bibles, hold up your Bibles. Hold them up. Hold them up. If you brought a Bible, a book Bible, a book Bible, hold them up. Hold them up. All right. All right. Put them down. Put them down. A book Bible, Nick. Uh, if you brought an e-Bible, hold that up. Let me see. Let me see. Hold those up. Oh, check it out. Wow. Okay, now everybody hold it up together. Everybody hold it up together. All right. Very good. Very good. Praise God. There's a reason why we do like this responsive reading and things like that. And to be sure, times have changed, right? Before it was like uh, you would stand up and there's be scrolls and stuff like that. And now it's, that's kind of like a scroll, I guess, in that it rolls. Um, but it's a little bit different. And then you turn on things. Times have changed, but our love for God... And for his word, I pray, will remain unchanged. Actually, will in fact change and grow and grow and grow. Uh, because there's in our day and age a growing trend among people to try and kind of divide a love for God or Jesus from his word. And people saying things like, oh, you guys idolize the word of God. Or I'm a red-letter Christian and I only want the words of Jesus. Or things of this nature, trying to butcher up the canon, so to speak. And this has always happened throughout the history of the church. If you're not aware, uh, church history, this has always been an issue. But what I want us to know going into, you know, our responsive readings and the word of God that Uncle Bill read, Genesis 26, which is where we'll be this afternoon, is that those are the only perfect words that will be spoken this morning. The word of God are the only perfect words that will be spoken this morning. Uh, mine will be inevitably mingled with my humanity and my fallenness and are not inspired or perfect only insofar as they align with what God's word has taught. Uh, and so we value highly God's word because we value God. We love God. We, that's how he revealed himself to us. We don't know Jesus apart from the scriptures. And so we can't divorce this idea of who God is and who Jesus is. And so that's why we just, we always want to proclaim his word because his words are life. They are our very life is what he says. Uh, and so, so we read them and we study them. Uh, before I get into my sermon, real fast, VBS again, just thank you guys so much for all who helped and made that happen. That was wonderful. The families were encouraged. And I think we had like some 90 kids, which is all their parents, and all of them heard the gospel Friday. And so seeds were sown, and that's what we're here for is to magnify Jesus. Uh, we had, let's see, last week's sermon was weighty for some of you, uh, just talking about uh, the good news is that God chooses. For some of you, that was really weighty. It was maybe the first time any of you have ever heard that type of view of God before, of his working in our salvation, and it raised lots of good questions. Uh, I want to affirm with you that, yes, we hold that God is sovereign, and yes, we hold that God is loving. And yes, we hold that the gospel goes out to all men and all people without exception, and we're passionate about the glory of God and the gospel spreading across the nations. And so we call all men, all women, all children to repent and believe in Jesus without exception. That's the gospel we proclaim. So we'll, as you have questions, those are good questions. I want you to wrestle in a healthy way in a loving way with the word of God, because it, it should strike us sometimes and make us kind of think and ask questions. That's a good thing. 
My time in the police department was very formative in my life and my ministry. Um, it gave me all sorts of illustrations and uh, any number of uh, stories to tell, right? So I remember, you know, as Friday nights, Saturday nights, Thursday nights, things kind of start popping around Thursday nights. Uh, the weekends are coming and people start going off. But Saturday nights for sure are always intense. And I remember going to any number of calls. And, and when you're the first one on scene, your heart's racing. It's, it's a heated call, two guys in a physical, maybe 40 guys in a physical graduation time. It's not uncommon to have this type of fighting going on, and everybody's drunk. Anybody ever deal routinely with intoxicated individuals? Okay, some of you. And so you know that it can go from, ha, 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 oh, this is so awesome. I'm going to kill all you, you know, all this stuff, and very vulgar and stuff like that. It can switch very quickly. Um, and so it wasn't uncommon for that to happen. And so I remember being the first one on scene, and lots of people, you're just clearly outnumbered many times, and... I tell you, you're just like, dude, um, where are my partners coming from again? <laughs> they were uh, somewhat nearby and that they're hustling to get here. Uh, other times, you know, even as a recruit, you're learning, or as a new officer, your training officer is drilling into you, drilling into you uh, to have an ear always for your radio, for your radio. Why? Because your radio is going to be your lifeline. And so it wouldn't be uncommon for him to be talking to me, and he would do this purposefully. He would try and distract me and get me going down something else and wait until I missed a call. And then he'd be like, he would just look at me with, like, stink eye. Like, I was like, what? What happened? He's like, you're going to answer your radio? You know, like, that type of stuff. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, uh, yeah. But he's drilling into me. Why? Because my radio was my lifeline. The radio was the means by which I would call for help. Central, I need more units now, all right? Or because it was me at Central, it's under control. Just cancel everybody, right? Right? No. It was, it was my lifeline. It was in that scene when I pull up in that hot heat of the moment and things are just going off and I'm trying to get it under control. One of the greatest things that you hear on that radio is, uh, Central 10-7, that's your backup. I'm on scene, right? All right, guys are here, sweet. That's one of the greatest things we can hear is that I'm not alone in this situation anymore. And, and things are going to, Lord willing, be all right. Now, for some of you, some of you come here this morning and you're kind of in the situation and you're feeling like I'm alone right now. Like things are just crumbling around me, maybe with my spouse or with my brothers and sisters or family or job or just some of you are here and things are tense and you're feeling pretty alone. My prayer is that through Genesis 26 that you will... Be encouraged that you are not alone, that God is always present with you. Uh, we have two points, two points. Number one from this passage, God's promises restated. God's promise restated and God's presence reconfirmed. God's promise restated and God's presence reconfirmed to Isaac. Uh, what's the function, right? So chapter 25, we were talking about Jacob and Esau and the wrestling they had as brothers and twins, and the older will serve the younger, and one will be stronger than the other, and uh, Jacob, you know, sold his birthright. What, what's going on? And then all of a sudden we get to chapter 26, and there's like hardly any mention of Jacob and Esau. 
It's all about Isaac and what he's doing. It is almost as if you were reading it, you might think they're not even born yet until you get to the very end because there's not even a mention of what just happened in chapter 25. And then in chapter 27, we'll pick up next week maybe or in a few weeks depending on how that works out. Next week, you have the scene shifting again to Jacob and Esau. And Jacob deceives his father and steals the blessing from Esau. And then you just have this weird chapter. It just seems out of place. If you read, it just seems out of place. What's the function? What's going on? This chapter is important. It's a transition. One, it's a type of a passing of the baton, if you will, from Abraham, Father Abraham, the covenant head to his son, Isaac. All the promises will be reconfirmed to Isaac. It's also a showing what exactly, why is the birthright so important? Why is the blessing of Isaac something to be desired such that Jacob would connive and scheme to steal it from his older twin brother? It's because of this. It's because Isaac has the promises. He has the land. He has the seed. And it's going to show the great wealth and kind of how he came across it in this chapter and function as a bridge between the two. This will be the most, um, or actually one of the last portraits, larger portraits of Isaac's life that we see in Genesis. It will now switch from Isaac to Jacob primarily. So this is our last kind of shot at Isaac. We've seen him grow up. We've seen him get married, and he's got his beautiful wife, Rebecca. And then now we're going to see the apple doesn't really fall that far from the tree in many respects. And so God's promise consists of the same elements, descendant, land, and blessing. That's in verses 3 and 4. Let's just read that real fast because it's a little important. All right. So there's a famine in the land, and it was just like the one that was in the days of Abraham. And so Isaac goes to, he's heading to Egypt. He has to pass through Gerar, and God tells him, don't go down to Egypt. Stay here. Dwell in this land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn here. Wait a minute, but there's a famine here. But God's presence is reaffirmed with him. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. And if there's anything we learn today throughout our time in Genesis, may it be that you are faithful. You are faithful to do good to your people. You are faithful to bring your promises to pass. And may we bank our lives on your faithfulness. Even when we are faithless, God, you remain faithful. So we give you all the praise and honor. May you make us in awe of these truths this morning. For the glory of Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, so we see this passing of the baton, right? Isaac himself had grown up as a child of the promises, right? How many of you have parents? Should be 100% participation here, all right, guys? Everybody has parents. And how many of you, growing up, you heard your parents recount stories about the time before you were in existence? 
right? So doubtless, right? We know this. So Isaac probably had to hear the story a million times and to all the guests that came over to the tent about his miraculous conception. Oh, yes, mom, I know you were like 100. Yes, okay, like you didn't have any children, and then I came. Well, there's that Ishmael dude, but, you know, he's, he's gone. It's all about me, right? So we probably heard all of this. He was the child of promise. He grew up hearing about the faithfulness of God, about the promises of God, about the actions of God to his parent, from his parents. And he heard these his whole life, and now they come to him personally, personally by God himself. And God, in effect, becomes no longer the God of his parents, no longer the God that he's heard stories about that spoke to his dad. He is now the God, Isaac's God, personally, by covenant. God entering into relationship with Isaac. This is what we all long for in our children, after all, right? That they would stand before God, that we would bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and one day they would stand before God on their own and personally come to know him. This is what we strive for. This is what our prayers are for. And so he undoubtedly heard about these things from his father, Abraham. And so God commands Isaac as part of his covenant faithfulness, right? Just as he had Abraham, what did he tell Abraham in Genesis 12? Go. Go from your country. Go from your kindred. Go from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now he's in this land. Isaac is in this land, and what is Isaac's command? In famine, stay, stay. Sometimes, sometimes, this, this, or actually this is always the essence of faithful obedience. Whatever, wherever, however God leads you, what are you doing? You're going, you're going. For some, he says go, like Abraham. Some of us will ask us to go. He'll ask us to leave everything. Others, he's going to ask us to stay, which is sometimes equally hard. Amen? It's hard to stay where you've grown up your whole life sometimes. It's hard to be around those who knew how you were before Christ. It can be very challenging. And sometimes God asks you to stay and bear witness and be a testimony and proclaim the excellencies of God. And so he asks Isaac, don't go, but stay, and I will be with you, and I will bless you just as I did Abraham. And then we get to verses 6 through 11. And this really records Isaac's deception of Abimelech, just like Abraham, right? So like I said, the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Not only does Isaac seem to inherit the promises of God, he also inherits the sinful tendencies and actions that he undoubtedly heard or learned from his father. You remember, Abraham didn't do what we're about to see done once. He did it twice, and potentially even more times than that. This is unfortunate also. Our children don't only learn the godly things we teach them. They learn and are shaped by the sinful things we teach them. And this can be very hard to see, and, and I struggle with this with my wife when I see it in my son. And, and take courage, parents. Take encouragement, parents. What do you do when your child sins? Well, they're going to sin any, anyways. They're going to transgress God's law anyways. That's their nature. Be encouraged. You get to teach your children not only how to positively honor God, but how to honor God when you stumble. 
How many of you grew up your whole lives and never heard your parents say, I'm sorry, or I was wrong? You don't have to raise your hand. If you're, or your parents are like right there, you're like, no. Right? Some of us grow up our whole lives and never hear our parents apologize or say, you know what? I disciplined you in anger. Would you forgive me? I shouldn't, daddy shouldn't act that way. Daddy sinned against God and daddy sinned against you. And in all of this, your children will learn both from your teaching and your example how they should respond when they struggle and stumble. And so we see here, this is what happens with Isaac. Uh, he also learned, he learned the sin response from dad. He also learned the change of heart response and that he ends well. So Isaac, same thing with Abraham. He gets the promises and all these great promises, and then he goes and stays in faithfulness and tries the whole, this isn't my wife, this is my sister routine again, right? Good job, Isaac. Very faith-filled, right? No, his, his faith was mingled with his fear, just like Abraham's. He's passing off. Uh, his wife is apparently really, really hot. That's the way the Bible says she was pretty in appearance. She was really gorgeous. And the guys of the land, he was fearful that if he said this was my wife, that they would kill him and take his wife. Right. So she's my single sister instead. Don't take her, right? <laughs> what are you thinking, right? Sin is illogical, okay? And so it says the king of the Philistines saw, this is a play on words if you read it, you can check it out later. It says he saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, or literally in the Hebrew. What does Isaac's name mean? Laughter. He laughs. So literally, it's a play on words. The king saw Isaac, or saw laughter laughing with his wife. It kind of leaves it in vague details for euphemisms to figure out what that was. Whatever it was is an inappropriate relationship for a brother and sister, and so he calls him on it. What is this evil you have done to us? How could you do this to us? This Wednesday, we were discussing the Supreme Court of the U.S. ruling on marriage, and it was concluded that one of the things, one of our responses is that we should be more intentional than ever before in living like the body of Christ, in pursuing holiness, in pursuing Christ-likeness, more than ever before, in showing the world what a true godly marriage does look like between a man and a woman, instead of defiling those bonds. And you say, what does that have to do here with us today? What happens here is, essentially what's happening today is what Abimelech did to Isaac. It is a sad day. It is a sad state of affairs when unbelievers, non-Christians, are calling Christians or believers and disgusted about their conduct, and rightfully so. And we have to grasp this, brothers and sisters, that we are being watched we're being watched at all times, right? Just like Isaac didn't think he was being watched, but he was caught in his sin by Abimelech. We are always being watched. And when we sin or when we transgress God's law, it is often those whom we least expect that see it. May we avoid at all costs bringing reproach on the gospel of Christ. May we avoid at all costs bringing shame or reasons for others to stumble at the power of the gospel or scoff at it. When we stumble, right? Because there's no perfect people in church. We, we know that. We preach that. Praise God. 
So when we stumble, we cling to the promise of the gospel. We cling to the power of God to forgive sinners. That's why I need the gospel. We confess that sin and we repent before any and all harmed. Why? Because our identity isn't no longer in me. It's in Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. The main idea here is that, brothers and sisters, beloved, nobody should ever see us comfortable in our sins, in our wickedness. We should never just be comfortable bedfellows with it. And this is exactly what Abimelech caught Isaac doing and called him on it. And even this was God's grace to Isaac and that he didn't leave him there. In the next episode, verses 12 through 33, there's a little bit of contention around wells. This doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to some of us. For some of us who are maybe more agricultural or do more farming, you know how important water is. Now imagine you're out in the middle of the desert, you're roaming around, it's hot, maybe like it is today, actually a lot hotter, I'm sure, and what's going to be your lifeline? Water. Everywhere you're going, you're going around Water. If you don't have water, what happens? You die. Plain and simple. And so there's this contention around wells. And what happened is, so Abimelech sees Isaac growing and getting all sorts of yield on his crop, a hundredfold, and he's becoming mighty, and God is blessing him beyond measure. And so the Philistines, it says, they become envious. Envious. Oh, brothers and sisters, when you encounter success, rest assured, those that will surround you with envy will increase in number. And so this is what's happening is they, they become envious of him and they kick him out. They drive him out, say, get out of here. We don't want you here because you're stronger than we are and we're kind of afraid of what you might do. And so they kick him out. In the process, they don't just kick him out. They start filling with dirt all the wells that his father had dug and the wells that he himself was digging presently. This isn't just like a little skirmish over cable TV, all right? This isn't just swiping somebody's wireless internet and stealing their services. This is like uh, stealing their car, cutting their electricity. This is what's going on. This is just pure vandalism with the intent to drive them out. This could even be considered an act of war in that time. You are threatening their livelihood, their family, their cattle, their herds. But over all of it was this phrase, the Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed Isaac. So it didn't matter what they did, what they did, whatever, they, whatever schemes they came up with to thwart Isaac, because the Lord's blessing was on Isaac. So he was going to prosper wherever he was planted. The question, I guess, that this reflects to us is, how do you respond? How do you respond when others violate your rights? That's what's happening here. Isaac's servants dug a well. His father dug a well. This was his family's well. He could truly say, my father did this and he paid for this. We can even look back to a covenant that he made with your king and now you're filling my well. He didn't fight for his rights. What did Isaac do? He moved. Okay, there's contention over here. Let's move here. There's contention over here. Let's move here. And he did this until God granted him peace. 
His response is stunning. Why? Because God's faithfulness was to bless him. His hand was for him, and Isaac trusted him. One pastor said this, what? You will say this, right? I just asked, how is your response when you're sinned against like this? You'll say, what? Are we not to stick up for ourselves then? His reply, that depends on whose you are. If you are your own, take care of yourselves. But if you are Christ's, let him take care of you. If you are your own, take care of yourselves. But if you're Christ's, let him take care of you. And so we find ourselves in similar places. And if we're honest, we aren't more, or we're generally more concerned with our rights, our actions, what is ours, rather than letting others see our complete reliance on God and his promises. Sometimes obedience to God's commands. Sometimes obeying God isn't so much about the absence of conflict as it is the display of faith in conflict. You tracking with me? Just because the proverb says the Lord will make your path straight, it's, that straightness is not necessarily the absence of conflict. Necessarily. Sometimes it's the display of faith even amidst the conflict. And then right after this, God graciously appears to Isaac. He appears to Isaac to strengthen him with the reminder of his presence. Verse 24, And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. You see that? There's all this trial going on. He just got kicked out of the city. He's doing what God told him to, to stay, even though he kind of lied about the, his wife thing, right? And he's trying to follow God in faithfulness, and now he's in the valley. He's getting run off, and then God comes and strengthens him, encourages him with his presence and with his promise. Isaac, I'm going to bless you. I'm with you. And Isaac's response is the proper response for all of us, all of us. What did he do? He called upon the name of the Lord, just like his dad had done so long ago. I'm just going to throw this in here. This isn't like a main point that I'm wanting to drive home today, but parents, parents, check it out. Listen, don't discount the impact you have on your children. They are always, always watching no matter how young they are. This is one of the reasons why I encourage you as soon as you can, as soon as you can, for some people it'll be different ages, that's okay, as soon as you can, have your children with you in service. You say, that's a lot of work, I won't be able to hear anything. That's okay, it's a very short period of time in relation to their 18 years, and if you sow and invest to where they can sit and have the discipline to hear the word of God, and be a part of the body of Christ, it will yield fruit unknown that you cannot even imagine because they will not see or hear you only worshiping. They will see you. They'll be right next to you as you praise God passionately, and you will teach them. More than I ever could or more than any children's church ever could, you will teach them how to worship in the assembly of God. Praise God as soon as you can. Have them with you. I know it's a lot of work. I know it's hard, 
Uh, just a little funny story. A few weeks ago, I didn't tell him to do this. This was after service. Everybody was gone. Uh, my son, who's back there right now, he's, he's goofy and awesome. And, and he comes up, and he finds a little Bible, like this big. He finds a little tiny Bible. And he see, I see him walking up here, and I'm just kind of looking at him like, what's he doing? And he comes over here, and he stands right here, right in this spot, right where my podium. He looks up at it. He opens the Bible, and he started preaching. He said, <laughs> he started mimicking what he saw me doing. And I was blown away. I said, Titus, what are you doing? <laughs> He's preaching. And I was like, it was, I'm sure, a better sermon than anything I had done. Uh, it was definitely shorter. But the point is not, oh, Randy, that's how awesome you are. The point is they see, they see and they hear, even when we think they're not listening. And so Isaac calls upon the name of the Lord, just like his father Abraham had done. And then we get to Abimelech, right? And here he comes with his commander, and he's got all his, you know, his leaders with him, and he's coming to make a pact now with Isaac, right? What's just happened? What's just happened? Abimelech kicked him out. Your people covered my wells, and now you're seeing how strong I'm becoming and the fact that God is blessing me in spite of this, and now you want peace. <laughs> what was your response? <laughs> all right, you, you'd probably be tempted. I'm going to, like, punch this dude in the face first, at least, all right? And then we'll do a covenant of peace, all right? Or let me go destroy your wells, get a little bit even. But no, Abimelech had seen that God had been with Isaac, was with Isaac, Isaac and would continue to be with Isaac. He had seen the blessing of God on Isaac. Brothers and sisters, is this not true? When you start to live for God, people can tell a difference. When you're following God in faithfulness, people see a difference about you, about how you behave, about how you respond to circumstances. They see this difference. And they want to be your friend sometimes. In this case, one pastor said, in your choice of friends, choose those who are friends of God. If you would have a blessing upon your friendship, select a man whom God has blessed. You see what he's saying? In your choice of friends, those closest to you, yes, I know life on mission, we have to reach out with the unbelievers, but those whom you have closest to you, in your choice of friends, choose those who are the friends of God. This is essentially what's happening when we join church. When we covenant together, as we're going to have somebody else do at the end of the service, when we covenant together, we are choosing to unite with God's people who are also blessed of the Lord. They had seen that God was with Isaac. That's exactly what he says. I want to read this little short phrase. Verse 27, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to see me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. You can see it. They can see it in everything. We plainly see that the Lord has been with you. Now, why is that significant? Because one day, one day, there would come one, Isaiah chapter 7 says, that God would not just be with his people materially or and for prosperity to bless them, 
and appear to them at random times or speak to them through prophets and visions, one day there would come one born of a virgin, born under the law. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, Isaiah says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus. Jesus. God dwelt with his people. Where is the place that now, if you want to know, how can I know that the God was with Isaac is now with me? Or can he be with me? Yes. Jesus. That's where he's at. God has declared the place where he will meet with all men without exception exclusively is with Jesus at the cross of Christ. God's presence, not his possessions, not the material blessings that he gave Isaac, but the very promise of the presence of God is our treasure. I will be with you. And what did Jesus say before he left? I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews reminds us of this, that God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am always with you. You, therefore, are the blessed of the Lord. You who are in Christ are the blessed of the Lord. You have all things no matter if things are crumbling around you or people are, you're trying to work and it seems like somebody's coming behind you and putting dirt in the well that you're digging and frustrating your plans, God, beloved, is with you. You are blessed of the Lord. Do you have conflict in your home? God is with you. He is with you. You are blessed of the Lord. Do you have Fear, uncertainty over the future you're struggling with, plans or things I'm trying to decide. Beloved, don't forget this reality amidst the fear. God is with you in Christ. You have concerns at work, struggles, personality conflicts. Maybe you just lost a job. Maybe you're seeking a job. Maybe there's a famine in the land. Brothers and sisters, don't lose sight of this promise. God is with you. Your primary focus shouldn't be the problem, but the promise. Whatever your problem is, your primary focus, we get so caught up, and police go through this, it's called tunnel vision, right? There's the threat, there's the problem, and we ignore the greater reality at stake. Don't get tunnel vision in your promise. Remember, or in your problem, remember the promise. What? God is with me in this situation for my good. So his word is, fear not. Fear not. Another person, I heard this somewhere. They said, peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of Christ. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of Christ himself with you. Brothers and sisters, God is with you. He's always been with his covenant people. In closing, what does it mean? What does it mean to have God with you ultimately? 
right? That's a good question, fair question, right? You say, yeah, it sounds good, Pastor. I want to believe that God is with me. I want to see this reality. What does it actually mean? Having God with you and his blessing upon you means his promise to you. All the promises of God in Christ to you. It means his power for you, divine, omnipotent power for you. It means his peace with you, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It means his presence in you. I will never leave you. I will be with you. I will guide you. The Spirit of God will rest in you. It means his pleasure for you, that God is pleased with you, brothers and sisters. When you struggle and stumble and fall, that God is pleased with you because of Christ. For his sake. It means his pleasure for you and his praise through you that all of your life will ultimately be to the praise and glory and honor of God. That's what it means to have God's presence with you. This is a God you can trust your life with. Amen? Some of you haven't done this. Some of you have never come to a point where you just, I want to wholly trust and follow this God who is with me in Christ. Would you do that this morning? Would you come, would you turn and come and taste and see that the Lord is good for his beloved, that he just waits, he is waiting, the scriptures say, Isaiah 50, he is waiting to be gracious to you, Isaiah 56 says. Would you come this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises that have been restated in Christ. We thank you for your presence that is reconfirmed this morning, Lord. May we know that we are blessed and that you are with us always. And Lord, if there is any here who are struggling with this truth, Lord, would you draw them, would you confirm that promise in them as they turn from their sins and trust in Jesus? Would you do this for your name and your glory? Amen. All right.